Again, Lord, we want to say, have your way. We don't want to do things or not do things because we're afraid. We know that love casts out fear. And you are loving. And so we want to choose to trust even if we're afraid. And God, we definitely don't want to do things out of pride. We want to humble ourselves before you to receive the grace that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to John 11. We're going to uh, look at Lazarus again. We've done this for the past couple of weeks. I've got a few announcements before we get there. Um, This Tuesday, uh, we're going to have, during our normal prayer time at 730, we're going to focus on healing. So if you uh, have a need in your life, physical, spiritual, relational, whatever, uh, come Tuesday at 730, and we will pray for you. Also, if you would like to help um, with prayer, will you see either Kim, I don't know if Kim's still in here, if she went out back, or Alio. Is Alio in here? Over there. So uh, see one of those two guys if you want to help pray. Uh, Next Sunday, we have Face Down at Riverstone. That's our parent church. It's on the corner of Barrett Parkway and Stylesboro Road from 6 to 8. It's a time of prayer and worship where we all gather together as a body. Um, If you can't come for the whole time, don't worry. Just come for a a slice of it. It's really good. If you've never been, it's worth coming to. 6 to 8 next Sunday. And then uh, Monday, August 3rd, here we're going to have a worship night at 6.30. If you can't be here at 6.30, don't worry about it. Just come when you can, and everyone is invited. Uh, We're also trying to do some things specifically for children to help our children get engaged in worship. So if you want to bring your kids, we just need to know. You can either let Ruth Allen know or Penny over in the Pathfinders. Let them know if you're bringing kids. Otherwise, just come sometime as soon as you can around 6.30, 6.30 to 8. We'll have an open worship night. You don't have to have any musical talent, by the way, to come. So uh, just a heart for worship. Born Again Blessings, that's a children's consignment sale. It's Friday and Saturday, August 14th and 15th at the Civic Center. Uh, That's also put on by Riverstone, our parent church. It's a really good deal. There's, you know, we've got plenty of people having babies and all that. So, y'all, you go shop. Those of you, uh, other folks, we need people to help work. We need people to pray. Uh, You can see Jennifer Battles if you have any uh, questions about Born Again Blessings. The money for that all goes to help people in need as well, so it's not goes all goes to a good cause. Next Sunday, Revive will be playing. Some of y'all know Revive. Ty and Steph Hall are part of our church, so that ought to be good. One other thing. On August 9th, we're going to have a baptism service. Um, we haven't done this in a long time. I'll be talking about baptism next week and the week after, but just kind of have that circled on your calendar. If you've never been baptized before and you're a Christian, you need to be. That's We'll talk about that more next week. Um, but that's a, a command that we're given. So on August 9th, we'll have baptisms. If you're an adult and you're interested, talk to me. If you have kids and they're interested in being baptized, talk to Penny. She's doing some stuff with the kids over the next couple of weeks to lay the groundwork for them, so we all ought to be on the same page. So that's August 9th. Uh, we'll do a baptism service. All right, Lazarus. Past couple of weeks, this is what we've looked at. Lazarus, just to recap the story, Lazarus is a guy who's seriously ill. He's good friends with Jesus. His sisters, Mary and Martha, are also good friends with Jesus. So they send for him. Lazarus is really sick. They know Jesus can help. So they send messengers, ask Lazarus or ask Jesus to come and help Lazarus. Jesus intentionally waits for two days until Lazarus dies, which doesn't seem like a very friendly thing to do, but that's what he does. Then he shows up two days later, and Lazarus is dead, and he raises him from the dead. So that's kind of the story in a nutshell. A couple of weeks ago, Brandon Scarborough looked at 
the dead things in our life and what God wants to do with them. Last week, we looked at Mary and Martha during that window from when they sent for Jesus and when he showed up. We looked particularly at verses 5 and 6 at that tension between that says Jesus loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, so he waited. That doesn't seem like a loving response to us. And we talked about for many of us, we're waiting. There's a Lazarus in our life that's sick, and we've asked God to help, and he hasn't. And so we're still hopeful. We're still trusting. We still have faith that God will do something, but we're waiting. And then more devastating are people who are wondering. The window's closed. The, the time is it's over. And we want to know why God didn't show up. If he loved us, then how come he let our Lazarus die? So that's what we looked at last week. Both of those messages are um, on the on our website, if you're interested, if you feel like you're, those hit you where you are, uh, go back and listen to them. Today we're going to look at Lazarus, the miracle itself. We need to shift a little bit. I want you to see yourself as Lazarus, as dead in a tomb. You're not an outsider. This isn't, you're not Mary and Martha. You're not part of the crowd. You're Lazarus. You're dead in the tomb. We'll pick up in verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Skip down to verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that, you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. That's all pretty straightforward. Uh, to me, the only thing that's a little sideways is verse 33, when it says, Jesus called in a loud voice. He shouted. He yelled, Lazarus, come out. Jesus, the smartest guy who ever lived, has to know dead people can't hear. So I'm not sure why he's yelling at a dead man to come out. I think what's probably going on there, there's a big crowd that's gathered. Uh, Bethany's close to Jerusalem. There was a feast, so a lot of Jews had come to mourn with Mary and Martha. And I think he wants them, he's yelling for their benefit, not for Lazarus's benefit. He wants them to hear what he's about to say, what he's about to do. All of the miracles in John are called signs. They're not called miracles, they're called signs. And signs point to a greater reality. If you're on the interstate and you get hungry and you see a sign for Cracker Barrel, you don't pull off under the billboard and expect food. You go... You go three miles down the road, take a left at the next exit, and you go to the restaurant. Signs always point to something beyond themselves. And that's what these miracles uh, in the Gospel of John, they're always pointing beyond the event 
So as we work through Lazarus this morning, let it be a sign. It was a sign to these first Jews. You saw the response. Many believed. Some didn't. Many did. For you, let it be a sign, a sign that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And if you'll put your trust in him, you can experience both of those things, resurrection and life. I said earlier, I want you to see yourself as Lazarus. That's difficult to do because none of you are dead. You're here. None of you are in a tomb, and it's hard to kind of visualize yourself as Lazarus. There's a, a disconnect there, but we actually are. Um, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Starbucks pays $7.25 an hour. Being an electrician pays 50 bucks an hour. Maybe your job pays $35,000 a year if you're a teacher. That's the wages of those jobs. Sin pays death. That's the wage. We all know people, us, who've sinned. You've sinned this week. Maybe you've sinned this morning and you're not dead. There's a disconnect between what we read. The wages of sin is death, but we don't. People sin for 75, 80, 85 years before they die. And what God has done is he's put a separation between our crime and our punishment. He's, there's a, a gap that he's created between our sin and the payment for our sin. Um, you've seen like all of the stereotypical superhero uh, movies. You've got some bulked up star who he's either in a cave-in, a ship is sinking, a spaceship's about to blow up, a building is crashing, and there's one of those big, huge metal doors that you've never seen in real life is coming down and he's bracing himself, holding the door up while the straggling good guys come through. You know, it's usually some kids, maybe an old professor or something, and they're, they're coming through, and he's grunting, and he's glistening, and biceps are popping, and all of this stuff. And, and as the last guy gets through before the door crashes or they, whatever that is, again, I've never been in a place where that actually happens, but apparently they are. Before the cave caves in, before the ship sinks, before the space shuttle blows up, before the building comes down, everybody gets out. He jumps out of the way, reaches back and grabs his hat or whatever right before the thing comes. That's the picture. That's what Jesus has done. God would be 100% justified the first time we sin if he let us die. But he didn't. He's holding the door of death open. He, Jesus is doing that. He's holding it open so as many people as possible will pass through to safety. Physically, we're all going to die. But he's holding open the door so as many of us as possible will say yes to him. When the door shuts, it shuts. And if you're on the wrong side, you're on the wrong side, and there's nothing you can do about that. But until it shuts, there's an opportunity for you to move from death to life. You're in a tomb. And Jesus is saying, come out. At some point, he's going to stop saying, come out. Because you'll have said no, 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 no. For so long, the door's going to come crashing shut. And then at that point, it will be too late. Don't uh, assume, don't presume that this gap that God has created between sin and death, it's not because he doesn't care about sin. It's because he cares a ton about you. And so he said, I'm going to delay the punishment. Actually, I'm going to take the punishment so as many people as possible can pass from death to life. We looked at this verse last week, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9. 
with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. That promise is that there will be an end. He will judge everything as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's holding the door open, not because he doesn't care, but because he cares immensely. And he wants as many people as possible to come through. Last week, when we said when Jesus comes back, it's like freeze tag. And people who are running towards him are frozen in that position. And people who are running away are frozen in that position. Death is the same thing. It's freeze tag. Whatever direction you're going, that's solidified forever. If you have never asked God to forgive you of your sins, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, if you're not currently walking after him, I don't care about a prayer you prayed when you were 12. If you're not currently walking after Jesus, you're in a tomb. And just like with Lazarus, he stands outside and he is not yelling at you. He's whispering, come out, come out. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will do it if you'll ask him to. It's all you have to do is ask. He's already initiated the process. He's calling out to you. He's holding the door open. He just wants you to walk through it. If you've never consciously done that, then you're still in the tomb. Doesn't matter if you were baptized when you were a baby. Doesn't matter if you spent all your life in church. If you've never consciously said, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me of my sins. I'm putting my faith and trust in your son, Jesus. And I'm going to live my life after him. If you've never done that, you're in a tomb. And at some point, the door's going to close. And that's where you're going to stay. I'm not trying to scare any of you into making a decision. That's, it doesn't, that's a shaky foundation. But I would say, if you're not, if you're not a Christian, if you're in this room, you've never done that, or you've done that at some point in your past, but you're not currently living that out, just why not? Think about it. Why not? What's holding you back? What's keeping you in the tomb? And then my next question is, is it worth it? Is your objection, is your question, is your habit, is whatever it is that's keeping you in the tomb, is it worth going to hell for? And if it is, okay. If it's not, then for goodness sakes, come out of the tomb. Let this story be a sign to you. Just like Lazarus came out, so can you. Jesus is still the resurrection and the life. And he will be that for you if you'll let him. This is where I think many of you are today. You've responded. You've come out of the tomb. You've, you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. You're following after him, but you still look like a corpse. When Lazarus came out, he still had on his grave clothes. He was wrapped up with these strips of linen. He had something, a towel or a hood or something on his head. He couldn't even, he, he couldn't see. He stumbles out of this tomb. And Jesus tells the guys who are there at the entrance, y'all clean him up. Take the grave clothes off of him. There's kind of a two-step process. There's being forgiven from, by the Lord, being forgiven of our sins by the Lord when we come out of the tomb, when we experience life. But then there's being set free, which is different. But a lot, a lot of us never make that step. We're forgiven. We're Christians. We've, we've gotten through the door before it crashed shut but we still have on all of our grave clothes. We're wrapped up with the things from our 
old life. I hate what I'm about to say, but I think it's true. A lot of this stuff, these grave clothes, were we put on when we were young. We were 12 and 13 and 14 years old. I'm not, I don't like blaming my parents for my problems because they spanked me too hard or you know, some girl who said no to me in the sixth grade to go to the junior high dance, and that's ruined me for life. It's not, I don't like the feel of that. But there's something to what happens to us. I think, again, it's kind of like the 12 to 16. In that range, there's stuff that happens. I think we've talked before about our hearts and that our hearts are the center of who we are, personality, will, mind, emotions, all of that. That's our heart in biblical terminology. And at some point, God really starts to form that. And I think it's not necessarily when you're one. It's maybe when you're a little bit older. That's being formed, but it's not set. It's Play-Doh. It's squishy. It's easy to shape. And sometimes the, the people trying to shape that aren't just people who love you, and it's not just God. We have an enemy who wants to steal from us and kill us and destroy us, and he'll take advantage of circumstances to shape our hearts according to his standards, not the Lord's. I read a stat. In 2002, there was a survey taken by the Kaiser Family Foundation. 70%, 70% of 15 to 17-year-old boys said they had accidentally accessed online pornography. 70% had accidentally accessed online pornography. The enemy doesn't care if it was an accident or if it was on purpose. He will take advantage of that circumstance to form their attitudes about sex to his standards, not to God's standards. There are plenty of kids and plenty of adults, maybe you, who've accidentally run into things that have hooked into you. Things that It's not a matter of whose fault it is, and it's not a matter of whether or not it's fair. It's just reality. The past three books I've read have all been biographies. I read one about a guy named Charles Blair. He was um, the pastor of a church called Calvary, Calvary Temple, in Denver in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and he resigned in the 80s. During its heyday in the 70s, it was one of the 10 biggest churches in the United States. This guy had a TV ministry, a radio ministry. He was kind of at the top of church world in the United States. He had grown up dirt poor in the uh, Depression, and during the Depression in Oklahoma, cardboard in the shoes, Somebody said, bring a change. He didn't know what that meant because he'd never changed clothes. He had one set. He was either naked or he was in the clothes he was in. That was it. Poor. He remembers a time when he was 11, and his family was so poor they had to have government milk. So he had a pail, and he was the kid who had to go to the fire station and stand in line with everybody else to get milk in this pail and then bring it home. And he was 11. He's bringing it home, and a kid who's the son of a dentist rides by him on a bike. And says something 11-year-oldish to him. That one incident shaped his whole life. When he was at the pinnacle of success, he got a little bit greedy and his church was selling bonds to finance construction. And because he was so focused on monetary success because of what he didn't have when he was growing up, he fudged just a little bit on the security of these bonds. He wound up being indicted for fraud. The church now has about 400 people. He lives in Africa or something like that. I read about a guy named Art Williams. He's a master counterfeiter. First guy to ever counterfeit kind of that, that new $100 bill. 
he passed millions and millions of dollars in counterfeit money in the United States, which is unheard of for somebody to get away with it for so long. But he had a deadbeat dad who abandoned him when he was 12. And when he reached out to his dad at 32 years old, his, the, his desire to please his dad led to him doing some really, even, some really ridiculous things that led to him being caught. The seeds of his crime and the seeds of him being caught were all sown when he was 10, 11, 12 years old. I'm reading about Abraham Lincoln and these four guys or three other guys who um, competed with him for the presidential nomination in 1860. The biographer spending 150 pages saying this is where these guys came from. If you get where they come from, then you'll understand what they do as adults. Some are Christians, some aren't. I don't like it, but it's true. We're shaped when we're young, and all of us are. And if even if when we become Christians, if we don't intentionally work on our hearts, it's going to be set in a deformed way. I don't mean that critically. It's just true. There's something about our, our image of ourself, our image of God, our image of relationships. There's something that just gets bent a little bit when we're young, and then it sets. And unless we go back and deal with it, it's grave clothes that we carry forward with us forever. Some of you right now, the things that you're struggling with are because something that happened to you that was not your fault when you were 14 or 12 or 10. And you just got to go back and deal with that. And then you can, that's how you take the grave clothes off. And until you do, you never will. You'll be walking around like Lazarus with a bag on your head. You're a Christian, but you're not free. That word, take the grave clothes off him, is, it's loose him, set him free. That's God's desire for all of us. It's not just that we would come out of the tomb. It's that everything from our past life that would hold us back, that we would get rid of all of that. And that's what we want to do this morning. Y'all close your eyes. I want to spend a little time praying. I just want y'all to stay with me with this. I'm going to talk some, and we're going to pray some, and you're going to listen some. It'll be clear. James 5.16 says that if we confess our sin, that we're to confess our sins to one another and be healed. This is really the sticking point for a lot of us. It's why people are okay coming out of the tomb, but difficult to get rid of the grave clothes. Really coming out of the tomb is between you and God. That's that verse that we read earlier. If we confess our sins to God, he'll forgive us. But when it comes to, to freedom, we have to involve other people. Lazarus couldn't get the grave clothes off of himself. Jesus told some other guys to help him, and they probably stunk. He'd been rotten for four days. And these guys had to come close, and they had to take those things off, and Lazarus had to be humble enough to let them do it. And that's where a lot of us get stuck. I've had several people praying this week kind of about what are some things that maybe we struggle with, what are the grave clothes that are common in our church. And one of the things that came back, I don't necessarily think this is grave clothes, but I think it's what keeps us from getting rid of them is pride. We think, you know what, I can deal with this on my own. I can take care of this. The situation is not out of hand. It's not that bad. And what I want to say is it is that bad, and you can't deal with it on your own. God set it up. Confess to one another, and you'll be healed. You've got to 
screw up, the courage, the will, the whatever it is, to let somebody else in, to let them know what's going on, to let them pray for you, and then you'll begin to experience healing. It doesn't do any good just to identify your grave clothes. You want to take them off, and you can't take them off yourself. If you could, you already would have because you hate them, and they stink. I was thinking about this um, one in particular. Uh, We talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't feel like we dealt with it thoroughly. It was pornography. I still believe there are people in our church who struggle with pornography. And when I say struggle, I mean if you ever intentionally seek out pornography, whether that's written, visual, internet, movies, TV, I don't care. If you ever intentionally seek out pornographic images, then you struggle with it. Don't compare yourself to somebody else and say, well, they, I I don't care. If you ever intentionally seek out pornographic images, then you struggle with pornography. It's grave clothes. It stinks. And it will corrode your ability to have healthy relationships with the opposite sex. I don't care if you're single or if you're married. It will ruin your ability to to relate to women or to men. And you need to take it off today. Is it embarrassing? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Absolutely. If you'll humble yourself, if you'll open up, let somebody in. We'll have ministry teams at the front. Just let them in. They won't say a word to anybody. But if you'll do that, God will begin to heal you. Again, if you were going to be, if you could cut yourself free on your own, You'd have done it already because you hate what you're doing. I think there's some who have given themselves that your grave clothes is fear. And it's rooted in a trauma from when you were a kid. I don't know if it was some type of abusive thing or not, but it was a trauma when you were a kid and you lost control and got hurt. And so now you walk around afraid all the time and you spend all your time trying to keep things under control. You are the master of your circumstances. And if anything gets out of place, you flip out and until you get it back in place. You're good at covering. You're good at hiding all of that. You're kind of like a duck. On top, everything looks good, but your feet are working underneath the water to stay afloat. And it's because you're afraid. And you need to take that off. You just need to take it off. And one other one. People who have a, um, I, I don't know how else to say it, it's unstable ground when it comes to who you are. You don't know who you are. You're not secure in your identity in Christ. And so you're constantly looking around for affirmation and approval. You're looking for other people to tell you that you're okay. And so you're, it's shifting sand as your friends change, as your circumstances change, as what's acceptable, as all of those things change, you've got to remake yourself over and over again. There's nothing solid. You're not planted on anything solid. It's, again, the only way I know to describe it is it's sand, and it moves all the time. And so as soon as you think you've got it, Whatever it is, then it changes, and you've got to go back and try to get it again. I think this is particularly true. Uh, this is a generalization. I think it's particularly true 
for young moms in Marietta. I think there's this image of what you're supposed to be. And some of you feel that pressure enormously. It's got to be smocked and it's got to be monogrammed and there's got to be a bow and it's this school and it's this car and it's too much. And all those things are fine if you're doing them because you want to. And all those things are grave clothes if you're doing them because you don't know who you are. You just need to take that off this morning. The ministry teams will come forward if the bow and less, if you guys would come forward. We just want to spend some time with the Lord. My encouragement to you, I'm just going to ask the Lord, God, I pray that you would show us what the grave clothes are in our life. God, I pray that we would not fall into the trap of thinking that we can figure it out. Well, let's just kind of get through this morning and I'll take care of it tomorrow. That's a lie. God, I pray that you would give us grace to take care of this stuff today. And yes, it stinks, but we can be set free. You're the only one that can do that. I pray even now that you would begin to speak to hearts in this room. Those of us who are still wrapped up in death, who are still wrapped up in things from our past, I pray that you would cut us free, set us free, cut us loose today. God, I pray for these three areas in particular. God, I pray for those who struggle with pornography, who seek these explicit sexual images. God, I pray that you would set them free today, that you would wash their mind, that they would be cleansed of all of that, the guilt and the shame as well. God, I pray for people who live in fear that something's going to happen beyond their control, that you would set them free today. God, I pray for those who, whose identity is on shifting sand. They're not rooted in who they are in you, and they're looking all around to make sure they're okay. God, that you would set them free today that they would know what you say about them and that would be enough. And God, I pray if there are any in this room who have not come out of the tomb, that today would be the day that they would say yes to you, that you would forgive them of their sins, that they would know the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name. You guys can stand up. We're going to close with worship. We'll have worship team, ministry teams up front if you want prayer. And don't be sissies. <laughs>